Garage Trouble. Scott Farrell is calling the shots from the sideline. We're going to make fun of people. We're going to hurt people's feelings. It's Farrell on the bench. I believe in whipped cream with everything. Pharrell on the bench in the biggest way possible, hanging out. The bad seat of broken data, bad apple with a bad attitude, hanging around a bunch of bad letters, bad taste, bad lie, bad dude, bad breath, bad attitude, bad vibes. We are live in the Pharrell Appalachia right across the river into the woods from where Granny's back from the hospital. And she said, get me out that 90% pineapple diesel, fool. And I said, did you want a little glass of Pinot Grigio with that? She said, you better believe it, fool, in New York City, the Big Apple. Ooh. People trust the plastic bags, the red travis, the kind of fashion, shake it up, shitty bit. All my friends that come around, flats and flats of party up, rats on the west side, bed bugs, uptown, what a mess, this town's inside of my brain. Splattered all over my head, and shitty bit, shake it up. Hey, what's gigging? I'm Pharrell with Mafia. Shout out to the church. 844 843 6879 is the number to get on a bench. 844-843-6879 to get benched. I got to tell you, I just watched, uh, I mean, just the best basketball game I've seen in a long time. I mean, seriously, for just like a Monday night, MLK night, uh, NBA game, Bucks and Nets was as good as it gets. And, I mean, it just was insanity. And then that's when it won 125-123, and I had the Nets to win outright and getting two and a half. And, I mean, this guy, Harden's unbelievable. He really is. 34.6 boards, 12 dimes, three threes, 13-25 from the floor. And he was five of six from the line. One block, six turnovers, a plus five. He was unbelievable. Durant had 30, nine boards, six dimes, two blocks, three turnovers, eight of nine from the line, two of four from downtown, including the game-winning three uh, that put him up 125-123, 10 of 21 from the floor, and, I mean, these two, 34 and 30, I mean, it's like every night. Durant's averaging 30, and Harden drops 34. Remember, in his first game, the triple-double, 32, 12, and 14 dimes. Then he turns around and drops this game, 34, 5, and 12. He's the only player in history in history to start with a new team with back-to-back double-doubles with 30-plus and 10-plus dimes. The 14 and 12 dimes back-to-back games and 32 and 34 points. That really is insanity. I mean, you know, I got to tell you, I didn't like the way he handled it in Houston. Fair enough. I I thought he was a D. Uh, I thought he was a D to the uh, team, uh, to the media, to his teammates. Uh, He didn't show up for anything. He didn't want to play. Uh, he half-assed it. He was dropping about 18 a game. I thought that was pretty lame. 
But I got to tell you, you know, that being said, leave that on the table, you know, after dinner. Because watching him play every minute, every night, watching that guy play just every night. Like, I've watched him twice for the whole game. And he's been unbelievable. We welcome in our radio affiliates, uh, Mightier 1090 in San Diego and all of Southern California. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, of course, Sirius XM, Channel 204 Sports Grid Radio Network, now on satellite radio. Also, uh, Sports Map Radio Network and... Sports Byline USA, good to have you with us on a bench tonight on a Martin Luther King Monday night. From New York, I'm Pharrell with Mafia. All right, so like I was saying, watching this guy every night is just, it's scintillating. I mean, I'm sitting there watching, and, you know, it's different when, you know, you see him play once every couple weeks on TNT or you know, NBA TV for the last, you know, whatever amount of years in Houston, all the years that he played down there, you just, I'm in New York, man. I I only see him on those national games, uh, you know, or if I'm watching and I want to watch a Rocket game, I would uh, tune in. I I get the league pass and all that. I can watch games, but but I never really did. And I just never really you know, cared about him or the Rockets. I never thought that they would come out of the West, no matter what. All the years that they kept trying to come out of the West, they always fell short. I got bored with it. Fair enough. But watching this guy on Saturday and on uh, this game tonight, I mean, it is just unbelievable watching him just go to work. I mean, this guy just goes to work. And not only that, he gets everybody involved. I mean, he makes Durant way better. Durant had 42 Saturday night. He has 30 tonight. I mean, and he's averaging 30. Beal's the only guy averaging more than Durant right now. And Durant looks fantastic. And that was just an awesome game. I mean, uh, the Bucks brought it too. We're here 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Don't believe us. Never turn us off. You'll see. Keep listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. Joe Peace Appeal, join us uh, next segment. Uh, I just want to get into football and baseball with Joe, but I I really want to keep talking about this uh, game I just saw because uh, it was just so uh, incredible. It's as good as it gets, and if that's the Eastern final, it's just got to be, right? I mean, you can talk about all these other teams. That's fine. I I get it. Tatum is, is no joke. The Celtics, when they got... You know, all cylinders going, but they don't. Tatum's out. Kemba's been injured. Kenji, he came back and got injured again. And, you know, they just didn't look the same with Jalen Brown, obviously, and Smart. And, you know, 
everybody's always trying to sell me Philly with Joe Embiid and uh, Simmons and, and the rest of them. You know, uh, Tobias Harris, Shake Milton, all that nonsense. I mean, let's face facts. They never get it done. Miami, obviously, is no joke. They made it to the finals. They haven't looked anywhere as good as they did last year. I don't know what happened to them. I guess they played too much ball because they haven't looked at all like the team that went to the finals, if you ask me. And now it's just plain and simple. Uh, Harden and Durant together are unstoppable. Now you're going to add Kyrie Irving into the mix. Tomorrow he's going to practice. He'll probably play their next game. He's already missed seven games. I think he's a flake. I get it. I understand uh, all the personal reasons. I understand the uh, issues that he's got with the world, with politics, with Black Lives Matter, with police, with abuse, uh, by police, uh, with everything. Uh, The stories of him dealing with George Floyd's family, buying him a house, all the rest. He is a great guy. I get it. That's fine. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Way to go. It really is saying something about somebody that someone would go out and do that for them, like Irving did. That's fantastic. But the bottom line is, he's got a job. And he's ignored that job. He has blown that job off. He has walked away from that job. He has, in my opinion, caused a massive distraction. And he's been... Uh, You know, and all these guys on this team talking about, you know, they got his back. That's just such BS because when a guy doesn't show up for his games and for his, you know, work and his and his practices and everything and their trips and everything else, the bus, the plane, all the rest. And he's just nowhere to be found. He's AWOL. Don't tell me that guys on the team respect that. That's just they all have to do it. But he doesn't. He gets to do whatever he wants. He's off doing whatever the F he wants. I'm not, I am absolutely not a fan of his behavior. Uh, And I mean it. Like, you talk about uh, you're a pro, you're making $33 million. Show up. Show up and do your job. That's what you're paid to do. You're not paid to save the world. You're not paid to take two, three, four-week vacations missing all these games so you can go save the world. Uh, Honestly, now, I have heard, you know, look, and don't think for one minute, I don't think he's an awesome basketball player. The guy's incredible. So when he's dropping 27 a game, believe me, it's very noticeable. He's a great guard, great player, must-see TV. There's no getting around it. But he's never there. He's just never there. And then uh, last year, I mean, what he played, 20 games? It's just unbelievable how much time this guy misses. He's just, uh, he's not dependable. You cannot count on the guy at all. That's just all there is to it. And um, I don't even care anymore what he does. I really don't. But I know he's coming back to practice tomorrow and he's going to start playing again, probably the next game. But here's the deal. I've heard these guys like Kenny the Jet tonight, and I respect that show immensely. I'm friends. I know Ernie. You know, I know all of them. At some point or another, I've met every one of them. But the deal is, is I just heard uh, Kenny the Jet saying, you know, we got to see how they are with the, uh, you know, their fluidity 
with uh, Kyrie and, and Harden and Durant. You know, we've already seen Durant with Steph and Clay in, uh, you know, San Francisco and Oakland playing for the Warriors. So we've already seen, you know, that that fluidity. And then, you know, we all know what happened there. We, we all know what Durant did there with his hardware. And then he came to Brooklyn, right? So now they're saying, well, let's see how they look together. Like, you got to be effing kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. If you don't think, listen, if you, if you don't think they're going to be good together, then you know nothing. And, and I mean it about basketball. And I can't even believe Smith said it. I mean, I really can't even believe it because he's like, well, you know, I heard him word for word. He said they're going to become really small. They're not going to get any rebounds on either end, offensive or defensive. They're going to have to be more, uh, frankly, uh, precise in their offense. They, it, what that means in Portuguese is they got to hit shots because they're not going to get second chances. And uh, they're not going to get them at either end. And it, it's like saying they can't rebound, they can't play defense, and they better hit their shots or the team's not going to be good. Listen, here's the deal. When you play with great players, I mean, superstar, phenomenal, unguardable players, there's no one that can guard either of Durant, Harden, add Kyrie to the mix, all three of them. You can't guard them. No one can guard them. Who can guard any of them? All three of those guys can get any shot they want, anytime they want, every time they want, every time they touch the ball. They can get any shot they want. And watching Pat Connaughton try to guard Kevin Durant tonight was laughable. Now, look, Connaughton hit big shots in the game. He played great. He's a good player. DiVincenzo is decent. There's no getting around it. He's big, you know, 6'4", 220. So I respect their game. But watching DiVincenzo try to guard Harden was laughable and watching Connaughton try to stop Durant was laughable because they can't stop them. <laughs> they can't stop them. And if you think they can, then you're tripping because take a look at the box score tonight. Take a look at the numbers. They do whatever they want. They do whatever they effing want. The whole game. And here's what's going to happen, just so we're clear here. Mafia plays ball with me all the time in his life. Have you ever seen anyone that plays with really good players not be good. <laughs> I mean, it's just, when we when we play with Brendan, like on a Saturday with like Killer, me, you, and Brendan, what happens? Great players make other players around them better. And, you know, we know that Durant can do that. Harden, obviously with the triple doubles, can get, get the ball to other guys. We saw some great plays from him tonight. I saw the, you know, the pass off to... DeAndre Jordan for the dunk. I mean, if, as long as Kyrie doesn't mess up the chemistry and can just, you know, fit in with these guys, it'll be great. But when you play with great players, good things happen. You yeah. get better. Don't and we don't lose. <laughs> it's just, it's simple. Great players make everybody around them better. And then you win. And you, you get uh, your game to another level. So here's what's going to happen. Like, I've heard all I can take about chemistry, about... You know, they're too small. They're this, they're that. All these guys talk too much. You know what it is? I know I got a big mouth. I know, uh, uh, you know, 
I've been tabbed everything. I, my family calls me names, my kids, my wife. I know I'm a jerk. I know I'm a loser. I know I, I'm painful, irritating, a show-off, verbose, acidic, acerbic. I know I'm everything. But I know this. You put Kyrie with those two, good luck stopping him. It's simple. Kyrie does whatever he wants to. I mean, if they all have 30, this team will score a buck 40 a night. It's that simple. There's no stopping them. It's going to be an all-star game every night. They're going to put on a show. You can't stop that train. All right, we're on a bench. And Joe Pisapia is our buddy. He does fantasy sports today at noon to 2 east, Monday through Friday, and then during the football season, fantasy game day, Sunday mornings, all on Sports Grid. And we get him on uh, coast to coast in the afternoons when we can, and Pharrell on a bench on the radio when we can. And here he is tonight. Roll out the red carpet for Joe Pisapia. How you doing, Joe? I love it, baby. I love the red carpet. All the paparazzi's always all over me, Pharrell. You know how it is these days. My man, so it's great to see you uh, back on the bench. I have to uh, start with, and we'll get to baseball later. I want to do football now um, while we have it uh, fresh from the weekend. What did you think of, uh, let's start with Saturday. What did you think of the games, the Packer and Bills wins? Well, I mean, I think it's very easy to sit back and think that, you know, of all the teams all weekend, that the Packers look the most confident, and I think the uh, best execution of, of all the remaining teams. I think they went out there and did exactly what they wanted to do on both sides of the ball. And I think the big difference with the Packers this year, as opposed to last year, is you have a Packers team that I think is a little bit more physical on both sides of the ball too. They have a little bit of edge, and they had, uh, you know, they have a guy like Robert Tunyon now too, who's picking up big catches and big spots, picking up third downs and things like that. And that was something that was lacking in that offense last year. You know, Aaron Rodgers obviously very motivated this year. I think he, he got lucky in a little bit of a way that Aaron Donald was not 100% in that game. It was very clear right away. And, you know, they just basically overmatched the Rams. And then, look, I, I got to give the Bills a ton of credit. They, I love that Bills secondary. I love them going into last season. I love them this year. And, and it's one of the few secondaries out there that still hits people. And they hit clean. But guys like Hyde and guys like Poyer and White and all those guys, they, they go after guys, and they go after and they're physical, and you don't see that as much. Everybody's so afraid of penalties, so afraid of this. They get out there and they get physical. They did a great job of hitting Lamar Jackson in the backfield when he would drop back. He would did a great job of getting and making at least contact with guys like Dobbins and Edwards and slowing them down, and that kind of prevented the big plays. And, and obviously the, the, the return was that huge difference in that game. But as I was watching that game with my cousin – I was sitting there, and as soon as, you know, they have been so many blitz and blitz and blitz, all these different packages and all these different setups, right? And then they're at the goal line, this huge moment, and what do they do? They show blitz, and they pull back, and they create like a great wall right there at the goal line. And as soon as they did it, I said, oh, what a great play call. And it's no sooner did I get the word call out of my mouth than the pickoff happened. And that's because they forced Lamar to look at those guys, try to thread the needle, and he never saw the other guy jump in the route. It was a great defensive call by Leslie Frazier and great timing there. And, and look, you know, the, the Bills, I, I think, went out there, and, and they showed you they can win games on defense, and they've shown you this year they can win games on offense. And I think they're going to be a real threat there in Kansas City, especially with Mahomes and, and however healthy he is. Yeah, you know, when uh, Johnson picked that ball off and, and went above, Buck one hizzy. I was just tripping because, you know, they had done a great job on on Lamar Jackson. I thought for the most part with, you know, 
whether he was in the pocket or whether he got out of the pocket, they pretty much, you know, snuffed him out and sniffed him out and took care of business. And then that pick, you know, sealed the deal. And it was just gigantic. I, we haven't seen a, a play like that, in my opinion, I guess, since Harrison did it in the Super Bowl for the Steelers against Arizona. You know, like a hundred yard yeah. type member right before halftime when he did that in that oh, Super yeah. Bowl. But uh, I look, I couldn't agree with you more, Joe. I, I think that uh, the thing that I, I said today on Coast to Coast, and I'll, I'll say it to you, is, look, if Mahomes has a turf toe, whatever you want to call it, that is no joke. I've broken my toes playing basketball. I they said never the same heal. thing today. I was like, everybody's you know talking I mean? about the concussion, but nobody's talking about the toe. And I, I, I'm with you, maybe. I, I was like, what? why aren't we talking about the toe issue? <laughs> like, that seems like it could be a real potential problem with planting, especially the way Mahomes, right? you know, he, he's – you know, people think that, well, it's all about your arm and stuff like that. No, it's about the footwork when you play quarterback. You know, that that's what's so important is your feet. Do you think he can take a shot even? Like, because I, I have my druthers whether or not, like, because if I'm, like, you know, I'm I'm dirty, I guess. Uh, I I come from Pittsburgh, you know, where uh, back in the day, you know, back in the day, can you imagine what Jack Lambert, L.C. Greenwood, Joe Green, uh, Mel Blunt and Donnie Shell would do to a quarterback that had a concussion and a broken toe or whatever you want to call it, turf toe, what they would do to that quarterback on, on the in a playoff game or a regular season game, they'd try to kill him. You're not wrong. I mean, look, I'm from Brooklyn, so I totally understand exactly where you're coming from with that. And I was still like, you know, it was part of the gamesmanship of the game. And it's not like trying to hurt the guy, but when you can be more physical with a player like Mahomes and he's not 100%, that, that's a different right. kind of version. And look, I mean, and look at Milano, right? And look at um, Edmonds and some of those linebackers they have, too. I mean, that's a pretty good linebacking core, and they get after the quarterback. I mean, they, they can certainly get out there, and they play sideline to sideline. And it's just funny to me. All anybody this morning wanted to talk about, everything I saw was talking about the concussion. It's not so bad. I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, what about the toe? What about the feet? I mean, Patrick Mahomes does so many incredible things because he has some of the best footwork of any quarterback. He's able to plant and throw and make throws that nobody else can because of his athleticism. But that's on the lower half. And I'm just really surprised that nobody, I'm glad you're talking about it because I think it's important, but uh, it's definitely something I, I've been saying for weeks now, watching the Bills and the Ravens. I thought those are the two teams that had the best chance in the AFC to unseat the Kansas City Chiefs. But for my money, I thought the Bills were a more complete team. And now we're going to find out, which I think is is tremendous. And I've got to tell you, too, I mean, Kansas City defensively is not playing as well as they were last year. Last year at this time, very opportunistic. They were taking shots. They were getting turnovers. They're not really doing that anymore. And, and look, I mean, the covers say everything, right? How many times, uh, you know, they're not blowing out teams. They're letting teams come back into games in the third, fourth quarter. Right. It's been happening for weeks. It happened all the way back in the Tampa game, for God's sakes. So, I mean, this is a trend that's going in that direction. And now with an unhealthy Mahomes, I think there's a lot of pause and a lot of questions. It's going to be fascinating to see where the money goes in that game if it goes more on the Buffalo side or not. One and eight or whatever in their last nine games or something uh, against the spread. They're just not getting it done. But, you know, the number was, believe it or not, it started at one, went to one and a half, went to two and a half, went to three. But here's the deal. Uh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. The, last year, and I never thought their defense was great to begin with. I just thought that they had Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and they were 
and beyond that, Williams, they had all these guys that were speedy and and they were faster than everybody in there. Uh, and that quarterback was so amazing. And it was just like they were down 10 in the Super Bowl. They were, you know, down in the Super Bowl. They still won. Uh, but here's the deal. Cleveland did whatever they wanted to that defense on on uh, uh-huh. Sunday. They literally moved it around, did whatever they wanted. He threw the ball. If he would have got the ball again, if they don't convert the fourth down, the third and 14 and the fir- fourth and one, if they don't convert there, Cleveland gets the ball, Mayfield's going down and scoring. Uh, Higgins fumbled at the uh, end zone, through the end zone. They lose that opportunity. And then they cry about it, whatever. doesn't matter because that rule's been there forever. It is what it is. But my point is this, is that right. Buffalo – I think Buffalo, Josh Allen, and that passing game is is even on a – they're in the penthouse floor of the condo, and the, and the Browns are living down on the 11th floor. The penthouse is where Josh Allen lives. I think they can go in there, move the ball, throw the ball all day, and get a lead and take that lead into the fourth quarter, and it will come down to can that defense stop Mahomes in the fourth quarter? And and what's so fascinating, too, in that game is you're talking about the two strengths of each team, right? The strength of the Chiefs is throwing the football, Patrick Mahomes, and the strength of the Buffalo Bills, besides the way Josh Allen's played this year, is that secondary. They, they're they're a fantastic group. Uh, you know, Again, it's just watching them the last three years kind of assemble this team. The general manager's done a fantastic job of putting these guys together. And that's going to be like the heavyweight matchup to me. It's Ken Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey and company go out there and throw the ball on this secondary effectively. And, you know, they really don't have much of a running game at this point. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's, I think, done. And then you have, unfortunately, you you got Clyde Wedge-Alaire with the injury. And Williams played admirably yesterday, and he stepped up in some moments at times. But I don't think you're really fearing that guy. And if that's the guy you're going to make beat you, so be it. Like, make Darrell Williams beat me. If I'm Buffalo, I'm I'm content there. That I will live and die with. But that's what the matchup's all about. And I think the secondary is honestly up to the task. And then you're telling me Mahomes is not 100%. It's going to be a fascinating game, I think, next Sunday for sure. And, and the Bills deserve a ton of credit, too, because every week somehow, I don't know how they do it, but they find ways to get Stefan Diggs open all the time. And every week you look right. up and there's crooked numbers from Stefan Diggs, 8 for 118 and a touchdown, 9 for 99 and two touchdowns. And, and I'm thinking to myself, when do we double-team this guy? When do we just – Take Stefan Diggs out of the equation. Nobody's been able to do it. And I got to tell you, the secondary of the Chiefs, that's the last group that I think is really going to do it. Look, uh, they got more than him, too. They got Beasley. They got tight ends. They got, uh, I, I think they oh, have Gabe great Davis receivers. has played terrific, too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to me that, um, you know, look, look, going into the game, and I hit both of those games, the Packers to win and the spread and the Bills to win and the spread, and I said to uh, Coast to Coast, the audience, and to Carver High, who's a huge Bills fan, I talked to him off the air. I was like, look, man, the cream rises. This team won 13 games for a reason. Now they've won 15 mm-hmm. games. Kansas City's won 15 games. I'm not surprised in the, in the, in the least that these are the two teams playing for uh, the AFC Championship. Yeah, I'm not surprised by it either, but I, I could tell you, you know, from a from an old Patriot fan perspective, I can give you there's the years where I always felt really good as a Patriots fan, like I felt, oh, it's in our building and we're good, you know, we're the number one and we're going to crush it. And then there's other years where you feel like they're hanging on by a thread. It's starting to feel like Kansas City's 
hanging on. And they, they're a matchup, you know, they're a tough matchup there because Kelsey is a, is a very unique weapon. There's, there's nobody out there really like him. And then Tyreek Hill, obviously, with that speed, you know, the fact that they can score in one play, you know, that, that explosiveness is very difficult. And that right. is one of those momentum swings. Like you mentioned that Johnson interception, right? The momentum swings in playoff games are everything. And, and had Cleveland had that momentum swing of that Higgins touchdown, things would have been much different, right. I think. Yeah, no doubt. When we come back, we'll talk to uh, Joe Pisapia about Sunday's games, and then we'll see who he uh, likes uh, this Sunday to to get these games in. And then we'll talk a little baseball with him on a bench. Working hard 24 hours a day to give you your USRDA of the winning edge. Everything a growing boy needs. Sit up straight. Get it right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. I'm talking uh, with Joe Pisapia about uh, the football, and then we'll get into some baseball. So, Joe, uh, what did you think of um, that Tampa Bay defense, what they did to Drew Brees? Because I thought it was more about that than it was Tom Brady. I didn't think Brady made any uh, mistakes, really, uh, to speak of. But I didn't think he did anything earth-shattering. They won this game because of that defense. No, I, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, maybe if Godwin comes down with that ball in the end zone, that's the big play, and you know, we kind of look a little differently at it. But Brady managed the game. Brady found the open guy. I mean, when you think about it, Gronk, Godwin, AB, and Evans had combined seven receptions in that guy game seven. I mean, that is atrocious by comparisons, and and, and yet they still found a way to win. But. It's because of the play of Devin White. I mean, the guy had 10 tackles. He had a, a huge interception there. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, he's a little smaller for a linebacker in terms of stature. And, and on FST today, I kind of made the, you know, him and Levante David are kind of in that same mold and, and reminded me a little bit, if you remember a few years back, that San Francisco linebacking core that had Patrick Willis and Bowman on it. It felt right. kind of like watching those guys. Like that to me was that group. Uh, and watching Devin White just be so incredible there. They had three picks on Breeze as a defense. They they beat it, they uh, beat down eight different passes. They had the fumble recovery. I mean, they did a fantastic job. And and let's be honest, Drew Breeze is is not healthy. I mean, he has eleven cracked ribs. Uh, I do the Sunday morning show on Sports Grid with Eric Young, right, professional wrestler. He's told me about his cracked ribs that he's had in his life, and this is a guy that's had everything done to him you can possibly imagine, and he told me cracked ribs is the worst thing he's ever had. He couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't breathe, he couldn't sneeze, he couldn't do anything. Right, nothing. And he's saying, I don't know how Drew Brees is going out there and playing football. And he's going out there because he's a warrior, and he knows this is kind of his last stand. Uh, Just look, at a certain point, you know, he just couldn't throw the ball deeper. Michael Thomas had no catches on the day. That was, uh, I think, shocking in some ways, but I guess not surprising in others. And and unfortunately, this is, I don't think, the script Drew Brees wanted to write off into the sunset, but this happens sometimes. I mean, the, Dan Marino's last game is not one that he liked to remember. Peyton Manning's ending isn't pretty. You know, it's just sometimes this is the case. But all the credit in the world to that defense of the Bucks, And the Bucks have been great all year against the run. They've been, you know, very good at times in some big moments, too. And they created some big turnovers. So a great job by the defense. And they're getting uh, Via back next week. Now, I don't know how much... Uh, Vitavia is going to be able to play, 
But that's another addition. I mean, a defensive tackle, a big guy like that up front, even if he could play a little bit, that's definitely another plus. I don't know how he's back so soon uh, after breaking a leg in October, but he is back and he's going to be active apparently for this game on Sunday. Yeah, I, you know, I know that's uh, big news, and I know that it's uh, exciting for people, uh, I'm sure. And we talked about it today, and I'm sure you did, and uh, that news broke, and, and we were getting into it and everything. But the bottom line is, like, I'll be shocked if he's in any more than uh, situational uh, downs, like, you know, third down, right, third pass short, rush, whatever. Yeah. D- don't tell me some guy breaks his leg and misses the entire season <laughs> and he's going to come out and play 35 minutes. It's not happening. So, anyway, no let, let's, no get, let's get real for a second. I thought, well, first of all, I've broken ribs, right? So, um, and Mafia knows when I did it, uh, playing basketball with him. And um, I, I – I uh, was playing outdoors, and I was on cement, and then I dove for a ball out of bounds, and uh, I landed on my shoulder and my labrum, and it tore my labrum and shoulder off the bone, and my and I broke ribs and, and rib cartilage. And I went from, like, I was in agony, whatever, and I had surgery uh, on all of it. I had uh, major reconstructive on my shoulder. I was done for a year. And I was there, and all I remember is is that the shoulder and the, and the labrum were bad enough, but the ribs, the ribs were so painful that you can't get out of a chair, you can't sit, you can't mm-hmm. sleep, you can't get out of a car. If you get a cough, if you were to get a cough with broken ribs, you literally have a better option, which is sticking a gun in your mouth and blowing your head off (laughs) than to get a cough with broken ribs or rib cartilage. You'd be better off killing yourself. It is the worst pain I've ever had. But I also... I also don't believe that Drew Brees, the reason Drew Brees, I, I'm not buying that the ribs were a problem. I think he's back from the ribs. I'm buying that he sucked and that he was old <laughs> and terrible and threw the ball terrible. He was terrible. That's what he was. There was no excuses with ribs or anything else. He was out all those games. He came back. He looked great. He got it done, and then yesterday he did nothing but crappy throws. And and the, the Buccaneers, are you kidding me, Joe? They were laughing at those passes. They were so bad. Those passes were worse than Roethlisberger's four picks. Yeah, I mean, look, I didn't think he looked great last week against the Bears either. Uh, so for whatever that's worth, but you're not wrong. I mean, this is definitely a guy at the end, I think. And, right. I mean, the dude has five... 5,000-yard passing seasons. The guy is a you know, top-five quarterback of all time. and Incredible career. And, look, it's, it's just time. It's just, you know, this is where he's at. And people, you know, sometimes forget he was hurt last year, too. You know, he missed significant time. And Teddy Bridgewater stepped in, and they played well. And, and, and at this point, I, I think for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I was watching that game yesterday, the two early drives that they had that ended in field goals instead of touchdowns, you got the feeling it wasn't going to be the Saints' day. That was my inclination that I got. Like, you can't, in the first yeah. quarter, get down the red zone twice and put up two threes against Tom Brady and think that you're somehow going to win that football game because that guy's just going to keep coming for you. And Brady heard it all week about you haven't beaten the Saints and all this stuff. And, look, he's going to find a way to do it. But, you know, you're right. The defense definitely did it. But Brady still made a couple of really good throws and some really good spots. And that's what Brady does at this point in his career. And that's what he's begging for in New England. He was begging – to have more weapons. They gave him Antonio Brown for two weeks, and it didn't work out, unfortunately. Right. And it was downhill ever ever since after that. And they just refused to, you know, be able to surround him with more talent. Here he's got an abundance of talent, but 
I, it's it's a tough sell for me because although Tampa did beat Green Bay earlier in the year, you know, it took Tampa a long time to get things right after that. It's like that was the high point, and then it kind of went in the tank for them. And Green Bay at the time when they went into Tampa, everybody thought that Green Bay was the class. And they're like, well, maybe Green Bay is not that good. And ever since that game, they've been kind of dominant. And it's very funny how they've been kind of the roller coaster back and forth. That's why I mean, these, you're gonna have two great games this this coming weekend. Where you really like, you feel like there's a favorite in each of them. But you know, when you got Tom Brady on one side and the way the Buffalo Bills seem to have a little bit of that magic, it, it's gonna be very interesting to see how it all pans out. And certainly, I think very challenging. I think from a wagering standpoint. Uh, can you imagine if Buffalo and Tampa end up in the Super Bowl? Uh, because I, I felt for weeks that it'd be Kansas City and Green Bay because I just felt they were the cream and uh, that they would uh, rise to the top. I want to ask you real quick uh, some baseball questions because, you know, I love your baseball, Skinny. Uh, so let's dive right into baseball and jump out of this. I'm not even going to ask you who wins those games. I'll let you deal with that on your shows and uh, throughout the week. So let me let me ask you this. Um what did you think of uh, the Musgrove deal for the Padres and how, um, I guess, uh, Lucchesi ended up with the Mets? Uh, tell me what yeah. you thought of the, like, the Padres offseason getting Snell, Darvish, now Musgrove. And Musgrove's a San Diego kid, so you know that guy's running naked down the street tonight because he got the hell out of Pittsburgh playing for the crappy, uh, broke-ass Pirates. My team, my favorite team, sucks so bad. They're, they're like the bad news bears. They spend no money. They're worthless. Every good player leaves. Musgrove's probably having sex right now. He's so happy. <laughs> well, look, uh, I think the, the Padres are being very aggressive, and they should be. Padres were a very exciting team heading into last year, and they did not disappoint. And they did it with injuries. Tommy Pham got hurt last year. Eric Hosmer got hurt last year. I mean, they, and they still – and Chris Paddock was terrible last year. And they still somehow found a way to be relevant and in the playoffs. And I think right. whenever you add you Darvish specifically to a top of the rotation, you're really doing something there. I'm a little questioning why the Rays are willing to get rid of Blake Snell. That, that one was kind of puzzling to me personally. I know they got a decent haul. I know it's the Rays. I get it. But it, that one's a little puzzling to me. But look, if you're looking at that rotation right now with Darvish at the top, Snell at the two, you got the righty and the lefty at the top, and then you got Denelson Lament, and now you're pushing Paddock back to a four where he's got no pressure on him. He can continue to work on that third pitch, trying to figure things out, right? Man. And then you have Musgrove as a five. That's a pretty good rotation right there. And they've already got a good defensive team, and that's going to help. I think, I think for Musgrove, I think it's clearly an upgrade in terms of, look, you're getting a, not only a, a better run support situation, but also a much better defensive side, too. you got Machado and Tatis on the one side. you got Hosmer on first base. He's a very good defensive player. I mean, that that's a huge upgrade across the board for him, and it takes a lot of pressure off. Musgrove is not the giant fantasy kind of pitcher. He's not going to strike out 200 guys. He's not that dude. But can this guy get you quality starts and get you Ws? And I think if you're looking at the back of the rotation, you see Jeff uh, Joe Musgrove is a five. That's pretty good, but that you Darvish one specifically, that guy has been as good as anybody the last year and a half. And, I mean, staggeringly just dominant in these last – this was the guy that everybody thought was coming over from Japan. <laughs> he finally right. showed up now. Right. And it's an incredible – and it's an incredible wait for it, but it's almost been worth it because he's been so good. So the Padres are in it, and I love how aggressive they are. And they should be because they've got a very good team. And you know what? The Dodgers finally got their W. But the Dodgers have a lot of questions in that rotation, too. I mean, Kershaw on his back is always going to be a question. He missed the very first start of the season last year. Everybody forgets that. You know, there were still some issues during the season, some issues even in the playoffs with Kershaw. 
Walker Buehler is a great young pitcher. The rest of the rotation has got a lot of questions, a lot of youth. So as great as the Dodgers are, I think the Padres are definitely in this mix, and, and the White Sox. Those are the two teams that have just gone, yeah. I think, done a phenomenal Look, job this offseason. I think the, uh, the, the you know, last year I thought San Diego and the White Sox were going to be the two surprise teams, and they were. And you and I have talked yeah. about this before. They're still loaded. But here's the deal. Musgrove on that team will be great because on the Pirates, you know, he sucked because they suck. But now he's going to pitch for a team that can score runs and that's exciting and that has uh, mojo and they got enthusiasm. They're jacked. They're lit. They're having fun. The Pirates play like they're going to a funeral. So uh, I think he's going to do really well there. Now the Mets, uh, they have, you know, the deal with Lindor and getting Carrasco, I think, is even like that's like having whipped cream on top of your cake. Respectfully, I got two minutes. Uh, I think, and, and now you get Lucchese. Uh Do you think that they are in a position already to be like in a you know NLCS? I think they're I think they're absolutely in that mix. And this is coming from a self-loathing Met fan right here. So I am never optimistic about this team. It's always sucks. But for me, getting Lindor not only helps your defense, it helps your offense. The Mets' big problem is they don't create runs. And giving, having a guy like Lindor who creates runs because of his speed, because of the contact, because of the power, right. that's huge at the top of this order. It has a great trickle-down effect. And getting Carrasco is enormous because he's got a 10K per nine last four or five years in a row. This is a real legit number two starter behind DeGrom, which they have not had. You don't know when Syndergaard is going to come back, if he's going to be healthy. And on top of that, Stroman didn't pitch at all last year because of COVID. He opted out. You don't know what matches. You don't know what the rest of his rotation is. So all of a sudden you feel really good about the one-two, and now you had a guy like Lucchese. They added Trevor May to the bullpen. There's a lot of talk they might end Brad Hand was a, a lefty out of the bullpen, which would be phenomenal. The Mets are making up for the back of the rotation being questionable with a really good bullpen. I like what they've done this offseason. I do think they're going to compete with the Braves. They got bats. They got everything. And uh, the other thing was uh, with the White Sox, I think they, they closed that deal with Liam Hendricks, too. So they yeah. got even better on you know the and back Lynn, end. Yep. And, and Lynn. So uh, that's going to be incredible, too. Uh, Joe, great stuff, man. It's good hooking up, brother. Uh, love talking football and baseball with you. Thanks for coming on the bench tonight. I'll see you soon, okay? Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, there is Joe PCP on the bench. Bench 844-843-6879, the number to get on the bench. Great game in Waco tonight between Baylor and Kansas, as predicted today on Coast to Coast that it'd be a phenomenal game uh, because they're two heavyweights. Now, the the number is right on it right now. It's literally uh, Baylor by 10. They're laying eight and a half. Originally, I laid nine. It went to eight and a half, I think, uh, on the show today, so... They're up 10 right now with a minute 38 left. And, I mean, now they're up 11. Both free throws hit. Uh, Kansas is playing, uh, you know, hack foul to get them to the line to miss to try to get back in this game in the last minute. So that's what they're trying to do. And all I know is, uh, you know, I took Baylor in this game, and they got an over-and-back call on, on Kansas. Uh, it, it's just a death turnover there. All I know is uh, I said today, Baylor is 
phenomenal. Uh, In my opinion, they have size, speed, skill, shooting, rebounding, defense, coaching. They have it all. And, you know, I've been hearing all this about Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's really good. There's no denying they've been together. Uh, Veteran team, Mark Few's a hell of a coach. They are uh, clean. They can beat anybody. Uh, They can play anybody. But at some point, uh, and I understand they're just automatic, a tournament team, automatic, uh, you would think Sweet 16, Elite 8. Automatic, uh, some people think Final Four or Championship. Who knows? But I think Baylor can beat them. I think Baylor uh, can run those white boys out of the gym. I really do. And I want to see it. Because I think Baylor can beat anybody. They mean business. They are fast, good, play ferocious defense, and crash the boards. Dunk, alley-oops, they do it all and hit their shots.